Tonight I want to talk to you about hope. What is hope? Uh, let's begin with some classic definitions from Bill Webster. Hope means to expect with confidence. To expect with confidence. I see you're writing all those down. <laughs> um, hope uh, actually is from the Middle English, hopium, and it means to cherish a desire with the anticipation of obtainment. You, you expect it, and you expect it with confidence. So that's what hope means. It's not just a, a wishy-washy what if. It's, it's an expectant, confident assurance that something is going to happen, that you're look, looking forward to. And speaking of looking forward to, when we say to expect with confidence, that word expect actually comes from the Latin expectare, which from spectare means to look. It's where we get spectacles from. Spectare, to look, uh, spectator, spectacular. So wrapped up in the word expect is to see, to look at, to look for. Uh, it's also where we get the word spy. I spy with my little eyes. Being, ah, I see my lovely wife. <laughs> um, and the third word is confidence. Okay, Expect with confidence. What is confidence? Confidence comes from Latin confidere. Come with fidere to trust. Now, when we think of fidere, we also think of FID, which is also um, fidelis, uh, which means faith. And so we don't confide with someone unless we trust them, right? So confide, confidence, it's, it's faith or belief in whom we trust. We have to trust that person. And you may, you may even recognize that, that Latin word um, fidere from the Latin model of the U.S. Marine Corps, semper fidelis always faithful. But have you ever heard someone retort, I don't buy into that Christianity. You got to have blind faith to, to hope in that. Really? Blind faith. Isn't that a conundrum? It's actually a logical fallacy. Remember our definition of hope? To expect with confidence and the etymology of which renders to look at that which you trust. Well, how can you look at something if you're blind? There's no such thing as blind faith. You see, faith always implies an object. Faith always implies an object. Contrary to what George Michael sang in the 1980s, you don't just got to have faith, faith, faith. Okay? You can't just have faith. You have to have faith in something or faith in someone. So getting back to hope, what is biblical hope? That was our first question. Biblical hope comes from trusting Christ. It's wrapped up in it expectant, faith, faith, trust. They both have the same root. Biblical hope comes from trusting Christ. Let's look at this passage from Mark 5, 21 through 43. And um, it's a long passage, so I'm, I'm just going to paraphrase it. Um, beginning in uh, where it says Jesus gets into the boat, uh, he goes to the other side of the lake, and he meets up with the leader of the synagogue named Jairus. And when Jairus sees Jesus, uh, he falls down at his feet, and he's pleading with Jesus to heal his daughter. And on his way to the synagogue to heal Jairus' daughter, um, he's going through a crowd, and there's a woman in the crowd who's suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. And she's pushing through the crowd because she thinks that if she can just touch his robe, that she will be healed of this ailment. Well, she's healed, and while Jesus is speaking to her, the messengers 
um, from Jairus' daughter, says, hey, sorry, your daughter's dead. No, no need to bother the master anymore. Um, just go home, and we already got whalers and criers uh, already over there for you. And, you know, and now he's like, and then Jesus says, hey, you know, I got this. So they go over. Anyway, Jesus asks the people who are, who are crying and don't believe and laugh at him because he says that she's sleeping. They leave. He goes in there with Jairus and just three of his disciples, James, John, and, and um, James and John. Uh, Peter, James, and John, I'm sorry. Um, and he prays over her. He says, awake, and she lives. There's two main characters in this story, and I want to take a closer look at each of them. The first is Jairus, and the second um, is the woman in the crowd. So let's look at Mark 5, through 23. It says, when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. Now, this is what he's saying. Please come so she can live. This is what he's not saying. Uh, maybe there's something you can, uh, I don't know, you'll possibly do. Why not give it a whirl? No. He expected, remember that word expect? He expected Jesus to what? Lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. There was an expectation that when Jesus laid his hands on her, she would be healed and she would live. That was his expectation. Now, we don't read, Jairus came to Jesus and said to him, Oh, Master, I trust you to heal her, so come and do what I know you can do, because I'm expecting you to do it, because I trust you. It says, come, and Jesus came. Next, we come to the woman in the crowd. Mark 5, 25 through 28 reads, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe... I will be healed. Now, she's suffering for over a decade and, only give him, and has only grown worse. But then what? She heard about Jesus. And that gave her hope. You know, there's a lot of people who need to hear about Jesus because they have no hope. We can give them that hope because when you hear about Jesus, you have hope. She may have felt hopeless, but when she heard about Jesus, she had hope. And not only just hope, for she didn't merely hope Jesus would come to her. Ooh, I hope Jesus will come to me. I know he'll heal me, but I just hope he comes to me. He's not coming, is he? <laughs> no, she put her faith into action. Right? She expected to be healed, but she did something about it. It says, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, if I can just touch his robe, I might be healed. 
No. She said, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And what happened? She was miraculously healed. And what did Jesus tell her? Mark 5, 34. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said, your faith has made you well? Well, remember what we just saw when we defined these words. Jesus is saying, you trusted me to heal you, and I did. You trusted me to heal you, and I did. She had expectation. She put that hope, that expectation, that faith into action. And by trusting in Jesus, Jesus rewarded her faith. That's why faith and trust are just interwoven. Let's finish up um, the story with Mark 5, 35 and 36. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And what did Jesus mean, don't be afraid, just have faith? I think we can translate it like this, possibly. He's saying, don't worry, trust me. Because remember, faith has to have an object. So when he's saying have faith, He's saying, have faith in me. And faith and trust are interrelated, so he's saying, trust me. Don't worry. Trust me. I got this. You know, we looked at the relationship between the words hope and expect. But there is a dark side. You see, hope expects, but worry also expects. And that's the dark side of expectation. See, hope expects something good will happen, but worry expects something bad will happen. Worry isn't just wondering if something bad is going to happen. Worrying is being almost held captive in an expectant state that something bad will happen. Because what's wrapped up into expectation is anticipation that something is going to happen. That might happen, but will. And so when we worry, we're expecting something bad to happen. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about worry as a I don't know, connotation of concern. Um, would I be concerned if my preteen went to a party with no adult chaperones? Duh, you know, that's not worry, that's common sense. Okay, it's, the answer is no, nothing to worry about, done deal. But the real problem with worry isn't a fixation on the negative. Okay, remember that faith needs an object. The real problem with worry is that we take our eyes off of Jesus because now he's no longer the object of our faith. When we worry, we take our eyes off of the object of our faith that we should have, which is Jesus, and we look away from Jesus to the problem or the issue of which we're worrying. And the Bible is clear in Hebrews 12, too. We are to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Where does faith come from? It comes from Jesus. What is faith? Well, Hebrews 11, 1 defines it for us just one chapter earlier. Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. It makes us sure of what we hope for. Faith and hope is kind of wrapped up in that verse because when we hope, we're expecting something, and faith makes us sure of that expectation. Well, wait a minute. Didn't we just learn that hope means to expect something good and, and expect, um, you know, we did that whole Latin deal, and it means to see, and, and so what do you got uh, evidence of things we can't see? You mean proof of what we cannot see. What is this cannot see business? I like the way the New Century Version puts it. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. Even if we do not see it. That's where faith comes in. Do I need a lot of faith to know that there's a table in front of me? No, because I can see it. I don't have to hope. Is there a table in front of me? There is. (laughs) Okay, I can see that. You don't hope for something that's already there. You hope for something that is to come. But by faith in God, faith in Jesus, trust in Jesus, you have the expectation that it will happen. So at the very heart of faith is trust. At the very heart of faith is trust. And our faith is tested sometimes by our trust in Jesus, whether we see him or not. Let me say that again. Our faith is often tested by our trust in Jesus, whether we see him or not. We have a problem, and we're thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We have to trust in Jesus. Remember when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus during the storm, and they're all panicked, thinking they're all going to drown, and we're all going to die, and Jesus rebuked them. You know, he's sleeping. You know, he's, he's chill. And he gets up and he, and, he, and he says, oh, you of little faith. There's that word faith again. So with, armed with our own, you know, Latin etymology, what's Jesus saying? Really, guys, you don't trust me? Faith and trust are intertwined. So he's really saying, seriously, you guys don't trust me. That's what you're saying. You're saying you're going to drown. You're saying you don't trust me. When he's saying, you of little faith, that means you guys don't trust me. And to make matters worse, almost to add insult to injury, they did see Jesus. I mean, we're talking about faith, you know, proof of what we cannot see, evidence of things we cannot see, um, knowing something is real even if we don't see it. They saw Jesus. He was right there with them, like in the flesh, and they still didn't trust him. He was right there with them. You know, Thomas, after Jesus was uh, resurrected, he says, I'm not going to believe that Jesus um, is alive until I can, you know, poke my fingers in the holes in his uh, side and in his feet, or I mean, uh, and hands. And, and so what happens later? Jesus shows up, beeline right to Thomas. Hey, Thomas, come here. Put your finger in. He said, my Lord and my God. You believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe but have not seen. See, that's where faith is tested. 
Again, our faith is tested by our trust in Jesus, whether we see him or not. Jesus is no, lo no longer walking on the earth today, but Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, lives in each and every one of us as Christians. And so we can offer hope to the world because they can see Jesus in us and through us. We have Jesus, the hope of glory, in our hearts. We are the Jesus they can see or ought to be. So our third question was, how do we get biblical hope? Well, hope expectantly looks to the future, but it comes from remembering the past. Hope expectantly looks to the future. That's what we, that's what we generally think of. You don't hope that something's going to happen that already happened. That, that doesn't work unless you own a time machine. But hope expectantly, there's that word expectantly, looks to the future, but it comes from remembering the past. It's empowered, it's built up from what we know has happened in the past. Our, our faith is, is bolstered, our, our, our hope grows when we remember the things that God has done for us. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that faith, hope, and love are, are at the root, the heart, the center of the Christian life. Our relationship with God begins with faith, Hope grows when we remember all that Christ has done for us. And God's love empowers us with the ability to reach out to others. If you've begun your relationship with God in faith, it's time to build your hope by reading the Bible and committing portions of it to memory. Wait, memory? Memory? Yeah, memory. Memorizing scripture is the best way to build your hope and confidence. Ask yourself this. In time of need, does one or more Bible verses come to mind? You can check yes or no on your sheets there. And if you're watching at home, just be honest with yourself. Because if, if you're in time of need, whether it's whether it's sickness or finances or decision-making or just something, and, and you're like, I, 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 I. Well, if, if you know your Bible, if you've read your Bible, if you've committed portions of the Bible to memory, the Holy Spirit will remind you. And those verses will come up and they will give you hope. They will build your faith. But you got to put them there first. You know, a lot of people are, are sort of like dying of thirst and, and they go to the well and they drop the bucket and instead of hearing splash, they hear clunk because they never put any water in it. Right? You, you have to have something there to draw from. And so when we read our Bible, when we commit portions of the Bible to memory, there's something there to draw from. And that's one of the best ways to build your hope and your confidence. How many can recite the phone number of Woodland Church? Just by memory. Yeah? Uh, how about your parents' phone number? Grandparents' phone number? Son or daughter's phone number? No, we use speed dial. <laughs> we're, we're, we're dependent on these little things, right? We're dependent on smartphones, so we don't have to be. <laughs> You know, I asked someone once for their phone number, and they actually had to look up their own phone number on their phone. <laughs> now, for those of us who struggle to recite a, 
a current phone number, how many of you can easily recite your own childhood phone number? Yep, 776-9866. I mean, I can just... You know, it just... Yeah, I think we all too often, you know, kind of think of our Christian faith as, um, you know, a one-and-done thing. Our relationship with God is not a one-and-done thing. Sure, it began with our acceptance um, of his forgiveness of our sins, for which, you know, he paid um, by a sacrifice on the cross, but it doesn't end there. Jesus is not a means to an end. Except Jesus is the Savior, get into heaven. That's not all there is. It's not just, okay, accept Jesus as Savior. Now I can go to heaven. Right. Been there. Done that. Bought the t-shirt. Checked off the list. Good to go. Now if you'll excuse me, I have my own life to live. No, that's, there's more to it than that. Now I may be an anomaly, but I can probably count on one hand, maybe another thumb, of the number of movies that I've seen more than once. There's just so much time and, <laughs> and, you know, so many things to watch of things that you even watch. So, you know, especially in a movie theater, I think the very first, I think the very first movie I ever saw more than once was The Empire Strikes Back, and I think I was like 13 years old. 1980, yeah, it would have been 13 in 1980. Um, and I remember seeing uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Still haven't seen the last one, but I don't know if I will. Um, and then I think it was The Incredibles with the kids, you know, much later. I mean, I'm, it's not like I go to the movies that much. And if I, if I ever do, you know, a few times a year, I want to see some, something I haven't seen before. Um, but the fact that once I've seen a movie, I know the plot, you know, I'm ready for something new. Life is short, you know. For the most part, movies are one and done. But here's the thing. We can't treat our relationship with Jesus the same way. Our relationship with Jesus is not a one and done. Our relationship with Jesus is a continuity. Um, it's, it's a continuity and it's called sanctification. And you'll hear more about sanctification um, uh, later, but it's, uh, in a nutshell, it's the ongoing work of God to make us more like Jesus and empower us to do good works. In other words, once we've been saved, once we've accepted Jesus as Lord, now we have to live as if Jesus is Lord. And now we have to receive his love to give that love to others. Now we have to be empowered by his Holy Spirit to do the works of the Spirit, to do good works, to do what God wants us to do through obedience in his word. We don't just sit back and say, you know, it's cool, I can just coast and do whatever I want because I know I'm going to heaven. That's, that's not it. It's not one and done. You know, books are the same way. There are more books than anyone can read in their lifetime. Um, but whether it's fiction, like uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, or Anna Green Gables, or whatever your flavor, or nonfiction that teaches you about a subject of interest, once we've read the story, you know, we've got the plot, or we've acquired the knowledge, we're ready to move on, and we have really little interest of returning to that book. Because there's so many other books that we want to read. But the Bible is more than a book. It's more than a movie. And it's because it is God's word that it's more than a book. And because it's God's word, it's alive. And, and through it, God speaks to us when we read it. 
And ask yourself this. Do you think of reading the Bible with as little interest as rereading a mystery novel after you already know who done it? I mean, if I've read a mystery novel, I knew who done it. There's really no suspense anymore. I probably won't go back to it. Now, there's some classic books that I may, you know, go back to just because they're enjoyable. They're recreational. They're entertainment. Um, short little books, perhaps older comic books are different. You can just flip through those. But um, I don't know. But most things, especially a mystery novel, you know, these. Why go? You already know. Do you go to the Bible and say, "Why well, already read that? Why do I want to read it? Why do I want to go to it again? What? It really doesn't interest me. I already, I already read it." We can't think of it that way because every time we go to the Bible, because it is alive, because it's God's word, we hear something new. And notice I said here. You see, instead of picking up the Bible just to read it, we should expect. Oh, there's that word again, expect. Instead of just picking up the Bible just to read it, expect to hear God as you read it. If you expect to hear God, if you can trust that God has something new for you that day, then you will hear from him. If all you expect is, you know what, it's, uh, let's see, what what verse am I supposed to be on? I'm trying to get this done in a year and... um, or, uh, you know, pastor's been talking about this message. Uh, he talked about this on Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to go back to it again and, you know, just kind of look at it again. And it's like, God says his mercies are new every morning. There's something new and fresh every day. So if you go to the Bible expecting to hear something new and fresh, you will receive it because God wants to have fellowship with you. And he speaks to you most often in his word and not from a voice in a cloud. So that's how you build your faith, hope, and trust in the Lord. Final question. What do I do with biblical hope? All right, we just learned what it was. We learned how to get it and how to grow it. Now it's time to give it away. That's the best part of all. And let's face it. We don't really have that much time for relationships anymore. In today's culture, most of us spend our time outside of work watching Netflix and scrolling through Facebook and, and et cetera, et cetera, and little screens and big screens and medium-sized screens and, you know, but little interaction with other people. We can watch five hours of sports on TV without taking five minutes to play catch in the yard with our own kids. We can binge an entire season of sitcom friends, if you will, without going out for a walk and spending time with a real friend. We can play virtual reality video games that feel like you're, you're actually on a putt-putt golf course. While out here in the real world, there are plenty of people who'd love to play an actual game of putt-putt with you. See, the social fallout of the COVID pandemic and resulting quarantines, facial coverings, distancing from everybody, and it's just has pulled us away from one another and, and rendered many people feeling lonely and detached from society and even friends with whom they used to enjoy doing things together. And by the way, nothing against situation comedies, okay? It's good to laugh and unwind with a sitcom like Seinfeld or Friends or whatever, Home Improvement, Office, you name it. But we can't live our lives vicariously through them and by binging hours and hours on end, sacrificing time with real people and real relationships and 
sometimes even sacrificing sleep, you know, we have to build relationships with real people. So where am I going with this? You see, oftentimes our relationships with people reflect or are at least indicative of our relationship with God. Let me say that again. Oftentimes our relationships with people reflect or are at least indicative of our relationship with God. So if we're not spending any time with real people, we may not be spending any real time with God. There may be a parallel there. You see, God did not create us to be hermits. God created us, and this is in your notes, God created us to be his imagers in the earth, showing people the love of God by living in obedience to the will of God. We are the image bearers of Christ in this earth, showing people. People can't see God, but they can see God in us. If they are going to have hope, they're going to get it from us because hope implies faith and faith has the expectation to see what is not seen. They can't see Christ, but they can see us. And so Christ is calling us, his church, his image bearers, to show people so that they can see us because they can't see him. And through us, they will have faith in him. And guess what? We can't do that in isolation. We can't do that in isolation. So we come to another point of personal questions to ask ourselves. Aside from casual interaction with coworkers or family members, and whether I intentionally choose to or not, the question remains, do I live much of my life in isolation from others? Yes or no? Do I live much of my life in isolation from others? And if so, is that mirrored by how much time I spend in prayer and reading my Bible? Now you may have to think about that for a while, and I'll let you take this home and just really ponder it you know, before God. But why should you ponder these questions? Well, because if you love God, you will love people. And plain and simple, God so loved the world, all of us, that he sent his son to die. If you love God, you will love people. And when you want to spend time with God, you'll want to spend time with people. In fact, the more you, about, the more you know about God, it should just naturally follow the more you want to tell other people about what you know about God. If I went to a great restaurant, I would want to tell people about it. When you know something great, you want to share it. And lastly, when you come to church, you want to bring people with you. You won't be content to just come to church for only what you can get out of it. A time of corporate worship, opportunity for giving back to the Lord, sharing in communion with fellow believers, and hearing the preaching of the word and its application for Christian living. All fantastic. But you won't just merely be sitting in a pew thinking, mm, this is good. Yep, I needed that. Good word, Pastor. Yeah. No, on the contrary, you possibly might be squirming in the pew thinking, oh man, Joe from work, oh, I wish he was here. Man, he really needs to hear this. Oh, I wish I would have invited him. I wish he was here right now. You might be thinking that. Well, 
One, don't beat yourself up, okay? This isn't meant to, you know, heap guilt and shame. Be blessed that you're thinking of others and not just yourself. And two, there's always next week and the next week and the week after. And not only Joe from work, there's Betty Sue down the street. There's, you know, your daughter's friend's mother, Emma May, and, and well, shoot, you know, you just got to get a list going, right? Very good. Here at Woodland, it's called an impact list. I'm glad you asked. You know, Pastor Clinton has mentioned it many times over the years, and you'll be hearing about it more in the, in the weeks to come. But for now, an impact list is simply a list of, um, well, I'll just say five to ten unchurched people with whom you have influence. And remember, everyone has a measure of influence with some people. These are people for whom you will commit to pray and to invite to church. Not just, yeah, it, I mean, sure, it'd be nice if Emma May, you know, came to church. It's, I mean, sure, it, yeah, why not? <laughs> it's like, no, I, I see her at, you know, twice a week at my son's soccer games, you know, and I should invite her, you know, say, hey, I got $5 in Kohl's cash. Let's go shopping together, you know, just have a relationship. Invite them to church. Invite them to sit with you. Expect them to come because you're trusting in God through your prayer for them. You're not just going to invite them, you're going to pray for them. And you're not just going to pray for them, you're going to invite them. You can't just say, all right, God, I hope that this person comes. Um, amen. And God's like, okay, I'm not there, but you are. And I'm in you, so how about you ask them? Because <laughs> I've given you all the love you need to show them my love. I've given you two arms and a leg and a mouth and two ears. I've given you a relationship already. You know, you guys love to play ping pong together. You guys love board games. You guys love football. You guys love fishing. You know, do something together. Invite them to church. You know, we're to be God's hands extended. One final thought. The title of my message is Word of Hope. Now, both Jairus and the woman who was healed in the crowd had a word of hope. It was an expectation that they had trusting in Jesus to do. For Jairus, it was healing my daughter. For the woman in the crowd, healing from this issue of blood. Each and every one of us has at least one word of hope, something that we can trust God, something for which we can confidently expect him to do because of that trust, because of that faith, trust and faith intertwined that he will do for us. And so I put a little line in your notes for you to take home and write that down and pray about it and be specific. Don't just be like, um, um, you know, healing for my father or salvation for my cousin. I mean, those are good things. But remember, the woman in the crowd put her faith into action. She didn't just stand there and say, I have hope. No, she went to Jesus. So if you're going to put down a word of hope, maybe it's restoration with a, a friendship um, or direction to decide upon a new job or, or, or something, 
whatever it is, just kind of hold that as your word of hope. And remember what hope means, okay? It's to expect with confidence. And that confidence is faith, and that faith is trust in Jesus. So I'll leave you to that, and we'll, we'll take a little bit of time to, to chat afterwards and um, commit these things to prayer, you know, amongst ourselves here at our tables. Um, but for right now, let's just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to take a look at your word. And, and through these two characters in, in this uh, story, Jairus and the woman who pushed through the crowd to, to be healed by you, and, and their faith, and Lord, your, your just confirmation in the fact that they trusted you, just confirming their faith. Uh, Lord, let that be said of us. We don't want to be rebuked like the disciples in the boat that said, why didn't you trust me? We want to be like, like the woman to whom you said, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Lord, build up our faith. Build up our, our hope. Let our hope grow by, by the reading of your word, by the memorizing of scriptures. Fill up our well, Father God, so that when we are facing different trials and tribulations, we can drop that bucket and hear splash because we have poured in and now we can draw from. Help us, Lord, through sanctification to be made more and more into the likeness and image of your son, Jesus. To not just sit back and coast through life uh, having accepted you as Savior, but, Lord, to to be in relationship with people so that they can see through us what it means to be loved by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.